Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. All right, now, we said that the Holy Spirit has picked out these seven men, and especially the seventh, setting forth something, and so we have Adam the first, Seth the second, Enos the third, Canaan the fourth, and Mahalaleel uh, the fifth, and Jared number six, and then Enoch number seven. And I said last week that these six men, six generations, and then God picked out the seventh and demonstrates something in Enoch, which becomes prophetic of the last day church. So, we liken these, that death reigned from Adam right through to Jared here, six generations, death reigned, these died in faith. They didn't die in unbelief, but they died in faith. And then when we come to the seventh, God picks out Enoch, the seventh from Adam, that number seven, and he becomes prophetic, a character study of the end time church. And so that's uh, uh, what we want to look at tonight. Now I mentioned last week that we've had clear scriptures both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that there's going to be a generation that will escape death. And there's a particular time, and we saw that in Psalm 79, where uh, God would uh, uh, loose those that were appointed to death, and uh, he would uh, preserve those that were appointed to death. They would break that appointment with death. How's this speaker coming across? Is it ringing too much? Yes, uh, I don't know if somebody could operate that and maybe just adjust that and anybody know how to work these little things? Uh, this is just a bad, uh, bad hole to speak in, that's all, so I'll try and keep my voice down and so it doesn't ring. Just they get excited about these things and they can't get excited with this thing. <laughs> all right? <laughs> get excited? All right. Thanks, Gary. Just, I don't know which one it is. I'll just sort of talk a little bit and see if we can maybe turn it down a bit on that volume and see how I go on mine. But how's that? Is that all right? Everybody hear me now? Okay, that sounds good. Thank you. And if I get excited, I'll get a bit of volume. Okay, now, so I gave the two scriptures from the Old Testament, prophecy that God would loose those that are appointed to death, he would preserve those that are appointed to death, and uh, even though Hebrews chapter 9, 27 says it's appointed unto man once to die, God has prophesied that he would have a, a generation that would break that appointment with death. Then the clearest revelation that we have is in the New Testament in 1 Thessalonians 4, which we looked at, and uh, 1 Corinthians 15, that Paul said, I show you a mystery, we shall not all die, we shall not all sleep. And also that he said, uh, we which are in the li- alive and remain under the coming of the Lord, uh, shall not precede them which are asleep. So there will be a company uh, that's alive to the coming, uh, coming of the Lord Jesus Christ will, that will break the appointment with death. Now, I mentioned last week, and this is what I want to take up tonight, I don't believe that it's just because they are lucky enough to be alive at that time that they'll do that. But I believe that there'll be certain qualifications that that generation will fulfill. And so I want to sort of go through some of those qualifications tonight and uh, trust that our, our session will be helpful to us all. So I, I've put on the overhead here a character study of Enoch as a type of the last day church and nine little sub-points that we're going to look at here. So uh, see if we can use the overhead. that do anything to make it worse or better? How many can see that? Good, okay. Well, I'll, I'll mention it as we go through here. So I have nine little uh, uh, points we're going to take, and we're looking at on Enoch as a character type of the last day church. And I just remember, mention again what I said last week as we were going through this. God has let death reign from Adam through to Jared, and suddenly it's like God says to Enoch, well, you're number seven. And uh, I want to break the appointment with death. I want you to break that appointment with death. And Enoch could have argued with God and said, well, God, everybody else is dying. Or every, all the other believers are dying. They bought their little plot of land out there and they're looking for the uptaker, the undertaker. Uh, why should I escape death? And it's like God says, well, you're number seven. Well, God, is not time to escape death. 
uh, I, I'm reaching over dispensations to something you're going to do in the end time. Well, God says that's perfectly all right because, you see, God never does anything without witness. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. And uh, uh, I'm going to say some things. I don't know what some of the eschatology is, but we can't help that. Uh, you'll just have to pardon me if I'm right on some of these things, that's all. Uh, but Enoch is the only person in the Bible who becomes a character type of the church that never dies. Now say that again. Enoch becomes the only character type in the Bible of the church that never dies. Moses died and was resurrected and translated, as we've seen in previous studies. Elijah was translated without dying, but, as I said, depending on your eschatology, the book of Revelation shows two witnesses, and one of them has the power to shut up heaven for three and a half years, and he dies. Jesus Christ himself died. There's been four men translated alive to heaven. Who are they? Let's say them all. Ask those of us who know. Four men translated to heaven. Number one, Enoch, number two, Moses, number three, Elijah, number four, Jesus. Jesus tasted death. Elijah will taste death. Moses tasted death. There's only one that never tastes death, and that's Enoch. And, uh, as I said, Enoch is the only character type in the whole Bible uh, that becomes prophetic of that church that escapes the point of death. And if Enoch is to die, then God has left himself absolutely without one witness. In the whole Bible, and God never does anything without in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. And so... If you say Enoch has got to come back again and die, depending on your eschatology, then it means that God has left himself without witness of a church that will escape death. All right, so we're going to go through these uh, nine little points here in the time that we have together. All right, number one, uh, the first thing I've got here is um, his conversion here. Now, this is by implication, but let's look at it. In uh, verse 21, Enoch lived 60 and 5 years and begat Methuselah. I'd like to bring sort of number one and number two together. Let's face the fact here that Enoch, though he's in the godly line, he was born a sinner. Everybody born of Adam's race, in Adam we all die, in Adam we all sin. So when Adam fell, we all fell. And so everybody born of Adam's race is born a sinner. So Though Enoch was born in the godly line and in the godly house, yet he's born a sinner. You see, uh, all of sin that comes short of the glory of God, so he's born a sinner, and uh, just because he's born in a godly house doesn't make him a believer. It's like just because a person is born in a horse stable doesn't make you a horse either, does it? Well, I was born in a Christian home. Well, you can be born in a chicken pen. It doesn't make you a fowl, uh, does it? <laughs> So, uh, though he's born in a, in a believing home in a godly line, he's a sinner. It's quite evident that at the age of 65, something happened that brought about, I believe, his conversion because the Holy Spirit picks this year out. Now, what happened there? We're told simply here that he begat Methuselah. Now, we can read these scriptures and uh, miss so much of the truth here, but one of the commentaries... Uh, bring out the interpretation of the names and each of these names have some significance Adam, Red Earth, Seth, a substitute seed uh, Enos, I forget, I forget, I forget, I forget <laughs> but each of these have uh, the interpretation of their names is some significant truth that's stamped on the sixth generation Enoch's name as we'll see has some significant truth too uh, pointing to the character type of the last day church now Methuselah is born and one of the uh, commentaries say that Methuselah's name, uh, which is very significant, means that when he is dead, if the flood shall be sent. Now remember, as I said last week, we've got the godly line here, Methuselah and Enoch and Noah. All these fellows are in good fellowship together, having a ball of a time, uh, meeting at the tabernacle of the Garden of Eden, as we've seen, uh, and so uh, when this son was born there was a prophetic revelation in this son's name meaning when he is dead if or when he is dead the flood will be sent and the significant thing is 
that the year that Enoch died, uh, I mean the year Enoch, uh, that uh, Methuselah died, that was the time the flood was sent. And Methuselah is the oldest man and he illustrates the long-suffering of God. He lived 969 years uh, and, and uh, of all the patriarchs, he lived the longest. Adam lived 930 and so forth, but uh, Methuselah lived the, the longest, 969 years, and Methuselah became a sign son. Let's turn over to an interesting verse in Isaiah chapter 8 for a moment here. Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8 and uh, verse 18, the prophet is uh, talking here. And we find that, uh, without taking time on these because we want to stick to our character study here, uh, Isaiah was a prophet, his wife was a prophetess, and he had two children. Uh, perhaps we ought to read verse uh, 1 and 2 just to get the thought anyway. Moreover, the Lord said unto me, Take thee a great roll and write in it with a man's pen concerning Mahashala Hasbaj. How'd you like a name like that? If I had a name like that, I'd certainly change it to Kevin. And I took unto me faithful witnesses to be called Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of uh, Jeberechiah. And I went unto the prophetess, and she conceived and bare a son. Then said the Lord to me, Call his name Mahashala Hasbaj. Then, uh, in the previous chapter, we find that, that he had another, oh, maybe it's the following chapter. Anyway, he has two children, and each of them have a, a name that's significant. For instance, Mahashala Hasbaj uh, means, well, what does it mean? Let me check it. Uh, in, make, in, in making speed to the spoil, he hasteneth to the prey. The other son was Shira Jashab, which means the remnant shall return. So in verse 18 of Isaiah chapter 8, this is what we have. Isaiah the prophet, his wife a prophetess, and these two children, he says, Behold, I and the children whom the Lord hath given me are for signs and wonders. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord hath given me are for signs and wonders. And all through the Bible, especially in the godly line, God picked out certain sons, certain children. Remember when the, when the Ark of the Covenant was taken into captivity, there was a certain son born to Phineas by the name of Ichabod. And what does Ichabod mean? Anybody remember? The glory is departed. So if you see that little brat running around in the place, you say, come here, son, what's your name? Oh, my name is the glory is departed. There is no glory. I'm Ichabod. What a beautiful kid to have running around in the tabernacle. Hey? Eh? but he was a sign child. Right? And all through the scripture, God gave the prophets and prophetesses and certain godly men certain children and gave them a prophetic name and so those children became sign children. And so, uh, as, as Isaiah says, Behold, I am the children whom the Lord hath given me for signs and wonders. So, here in the godly line, we have certain sign men. Seth was a sign man. He was a substitute thief because Cain had killed his brother uh, Abel. And Enoch is a sign man. Methuselah is a sign man. Noah is a sign man. God picks out certain men and in the interpretation of their name they become sign children uh, declaring a message. So you say, come here, uh, Enoch, what's your son's name? My, son is, my son's name is when he is dead, the flood will be sent. You see, there was no excuse for the antediluvian uh, generation to reject because they had the testimony of Adam, they had the testimony of these godly men, they had the testimony of Enoch, they had his translation, they had the witness and preaching of Noah, they had the testimony of Methuselah. There was no excuse for any of the antediluvian generation being wiped out in the flood because they had all the godly testimony. A man that's preserved through the flood, Noah, a man that's translated and raptured to heaven without dying, his signed son, Methuselah, as long as that child lives, boy, Methuselah, when he is dead, the flood will be sent. I wonder how long he'll be, li he'll be living. 600 years, 700 years, 800 years, 900 years. 969, the long suffering of God. So he was a sign child. So it's quite evident that Enoch lived 65 years. Something happened when this sign uh, son was born 
uh, in this prophetic name, when he is dead, the flood will be sent. So I believe we can point to here to his conversion and this assigned son now. Number three here, his name means dedicated. Now in applying all this to the end time church, those who are in the church, the true church will be certainly converted, that's for sure. They will be a sign generation, for sure. His name means dedicated. There was an Enoch in the ungodly line, there's an Enoch in the godly line. Don't get mixed up in the wrong, uh, wrong Enoch. One Enoch was dedicated to self-will. This Enoch is dedicated to the will of God. Another meaning for his name is he is uh, disciplined and well-regulated. Well so Enoch, several uh, meanings of his name, dedicated, disciplined, well-regulated. So I believe it becomes prophetic of the church that is dedicated to the will of God, disciplined, and we're living in an undisciplined generation. The whole spirit of this generation is throw off restraint. Everything's throw off restraint. Let it hang out, let it go, let it rip. That the whole spirit, and that thing gets into the church. And always the tendency to slough off and become undisciplined. Well, if we're going to be in that Enoch generation, and if we are in that generation, then we're going to be dedicated 100%, sold out to the will of God. We're going to be well disciplined, well regulated. We're going to be under discipline and have our life regulated by the word of God. Amen? All right, number four, we're told about his walk. Enoch walked with God. He walked with God. There's only two men in the, the book of Genesis that, uh, where the Holy Spirit says they walked with God, and that was Enoch and Noah. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, walked with God, and Noah, the tenth from Adam, walked with God. Specifically of these two men, number seven, number ten. Enoch walked with God, and Noah walked with God. And I believe the end time generation is going to be a generation that's walking with God. Uh, Amos chapter 3, verse 3. Can two walk together except they be agreed? So for Enoch to walk with God, he must have been agreed with God. Amos, Amos chapter 3, verse 3. Walking with God. Let's go over to the epistle of Ephesians, Ephesians for a moment. The, uh, those three words are very simple, but to walk with God... What does it really mean to walk with God? I'd like to give you seven references in the epistle to the Ephesians on walking with God, uh, which to me sort of, uh, you know, an amplification. What does it really mean to walk with God? Seven references to the word walk in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, referring to, or verse 1, 2 and 3, referring to our past walk. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Enoch at one time was born dead in trespasses and sins. And there came a time when he was quickened, made alive. Where in time past ye walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You'll notice this is referring to our past walk, and it's threefold. Walking according to the world, walking according to the flesh, and walking according to the spirit, the prince of the power of the air. The world, the flesh, and the devil, our past walk. All right, Enoch did that before he was converted, because he was born in sin, shaped in iniquity. The next use of this word walk is in uh, chapter 4. Oh, no, I'm still in uh, uh, chap uh, chapter 2 and verse 10, I'm sorry. Chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So our past walk was according to the, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Our new walk is walking in good works, which God hath ordained. So to walk with God, 
Walking with God, you can't walk with the world. You can't walk with the flesh. You can't walk with the prince of the power of the air. You walk in good works. Chapter 4, next use of the word walk. I there, verse 1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. So to walk with God would be to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called. Verse 17, next use of the word walk. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. So for Enoch to walk with God and Noah to walk with God, they must walk as the godly men in the godly line did, not as the men in the ungodly line. So there should be a difference between our walk and the walk of the world. So he says, uh, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity, the emptiness of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, etc. Chapter 5, walking with God, and verse 1 and 2. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love. To walk with God is to walk in love because God is love. Verse 8. To walk with God is to walk in light. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So for Enoch to walk with God, he's got to walk in light, he's got to walk in love. He's not to walk in the vanity of his mind. He's not to walk according to the world, the flesh and the devil. He's to walk in good works. It's impossible to walk with God without all this evidence. These things are evidence of walking with God. Verse 15. The next use of the word walk, the last use. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days were evil. And they certainly were in these days just before the flood, and much more so today. So Enoch was a man that walked with God, and the generation that's going to be alive to the coming of the Lord is going to be a generation that's walking with God, walking in light, walking in love, walking in the Spirit, walking in good works, walking with God, being agreed with God. So a consistent walk. And uh, you think how many years Enoch walked with God? We're told, uh, verse 22, which shows the implications we're looking at, and Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah, when this sign son was born, when he is dead. And you put yourself in the position of being, you know, Father Enoch, this little boy here, when he's dead the flood will be sent. Boy, that would change my whole life if I knew that as long as my child, if God said to me about my son, Mark Andrew, as long as he lives, that'll be my long suffering. But when he's dead, the flood will be sent. That would change my whole life. Wouldn't it change yours? I want to make you walk with God. I don't know how long he's going to live. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah, which shows there's something happened there, 300 years. You know, some of God's people can't walk with God 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Think of walking with God 300 years and being consistent on it. That's a mighty long time. But look at our, our Christian life today, many times. You know, I see it in college. Kids come in on fire for God, zealous, and start walking with God real keen, and then... You know, second, third year, uh, some start to slough off and who cares? You can just see it all over them. See it by their attitude, see it. 300 years walking with God. And he's going to walk with God so much he's going to walk straight into glory. He's just walking with God and walking with God and God says, listen, Enoch, you walk far enough, let's go right home, will we? Shoot right through the glory. He wasn't a yo-yo believer, that's evident. He wasn't walking with God one minute and then backslide and then giving up and getting cool. Just walking steady, consistent, walk with God. And that's what the end time generation is going to be. Just steady, consistent walk with God. Number five here, we have his testimony. Let's go over to Hebrews chapter 11 on this. Uh, point here. 
Hebrews chapter 11. And I'd like to have this type of testimony. And uh, this generation, this Enoch company, this Enoch church is going to have this testimony. Um, not after the translation, but before it. Hebrews 11 verse 5, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him for before his translation. He had this testimony that he pleased God. Uh, we're looking at qualifications, see. I don't, as I said, I don't believe that a person because they're lucky enough to be alive to the coming of the Lord because the book of Revelation shows a lot of Christians are going to be martyred before the coming of the Lord. The book of Revelation shows a lot of tribulation saints where some saints, they don't lose their salvation but they lose their life. But the book of Revelation also shows that there's going to be a company that don't die. So why is it that at the coming of the Lord, before the coming of the Lord, some saints are going to die, not lose their salvation, but lose their life, and some saints are going to be preserved from death? Is God showing favoritism here? Why does he let some saints become tribulation saints and lose their life? And why does he keep some from dying at all? Isn't God, uh, I thought God was no respecter of persons. How many know that God is a respected person? Why is he, you know, why, why, why should Enoch escape death when all these other godly people do? Why should there be a generation that escaped that appointment with death? Just because they're lucky enough? Or do you think uh, they're going to qualify? How many think they're going to qualify? So before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. There's only two people that God specifically said that of. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And he said it of Enoch. And you know, all through John's uh, epistles, let's turn over to First uh, John chapter 3, verse 22. Because, you see, we are living in a generation that is basically and primarily self-pleasing. Self-pleasing is evidence of self-will. I'll just do what I like. I'll just please myself. And nobody's going to tell me what to do. And one of the signs of the last days is a self-pleasing generation. Enoch pleased God. First John chapter 3 and verse 22. That's the verse I want. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. John chapter 8, verse 29. John chapter 8, verse 29. And I mean, you know, I'd like to be able to say this first. Jesus said this. Uh, John 8 verse 29 And he that sent me is with me the Father hath not left me alone for I do always those things that please him. That's powerful, isn't it, eh? Jesus could say I do always those things that please him. And John says we keep his commandments and we do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And you know I believe if we would ask a question like this before we did anything, and sometimes when I'm counseling with students at that time and at certain times and they ask me a question, well, would it be all right to go to this? I said, the very fact that you have a doubt, if it's doubtful, it's dirty. The very fact you have a question mark, whereas I think it's very simple, would this please the Lord? I want to do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Would this please the Lord? And we've got our answer right there. So we wouldn't go to places that wouldn't please him. We won't do things that won't please him. We won't say things that don't please him. If, if we just put this a test on everything we do or say and where we go and our whole behavior and lifestyle and just say, really, does it please the Lord? You know, 
Well, I want to please Brother Connor, I want to please the Dean, I want to please Brother Ice, I want to please the eldership, I don't want to please them, I want to please myself. Well, are we pleasing God? Eh? And uh, Enoch, before his translation, he had this testimony, he pleased God. I'd, I'd, like, I'd like God to say that to me, wouldn't you? That Kevin just does the things that please me. And I want to please him. You know, if you love somebody, you want to please him. So opposite is pleasing yourself. Goes on in the same chapter, without faith it is impossible to please him. Right. So Enoch pleased God. That was his testimony. What a, what a glorious testimony. All right, number six here, his faith. Let's go back to Hebrews 11. I feel this is a very important uh, uh, thought I'd like to share with you here, his faith. All right, we read verse 5 and 6 again. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, over the years, uh, I've mentioned sometimes in class, that over the years I've heard teaching on faith, 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 faith. And uh, for a while there I, I uh, went through, um, probably some of you have been through the thing, I just felt if I heard anybody else preach on faith I'd scream. Anybody ever felt that way? And I heard some of the name it, claim it teachers and, uh, in New Zealand and Australia and over here, of course, same devil everywhere. Um, you know, we'd give out papers like this and preachers would come along and say, now, Hebrews is by faith, 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 by faith. Just go through that chapter and and by faith Joshua spoke to the sun and the moon and said, Sun, stand thou still, and moon, stand thou still. By faith Moses opened up the Red Sea, and by faith Peter walked on water, and by faith, uh, if you have faith you, as a grain of mustard seed, you can speak to the mountain and uh, cast it into the sea and just turn your faith loose. <laughs> and some of the things we try to do by following all that and not suitable for publication <laughs> so I got pretty fed up with that and uh, especially after a few pages you know when you've got a little boy of about seven or eight years of age who's dying of leukemia and you just run your hand over all his body and uh, his body is just filled with cancerous so you've got all this faith preaching you're going to speak to the sun you're going to speak to the moon you're going to walk on water you're going to speak to the red sea you're going to throw mountains around and so of course the reason he couldn't be here was because the mother and father were there they were full of beef and unbelief so Jesus put out the parents in one case so if he did it Jesus can do it just roll up your sleeves we can do it how many are feeling faith right in here So we put the parents out because they have the unbelief not us we were turning our faith loose and then the boy dies in your arms what do you do about it so I began to seek the Lord on some of these things and I had to reassess all of Hebrews 11 because you see we're looking at something here we're talking about not a generation that's lucky enough to be alive uh, Enoch could have come along you know and just a I only believe, only believe. If I just believe hard enough, there's no such thing as death. Christian science, not even Christian or scientific. I remember talking to a woman in Christian science once. She'd come out of the Baptist church and got into that uh, thing. And um, I'd just been up the hospital. I was pastoring there and been up the hospital visiting someone who was sick. And she said, well, there's no such thing as sickness or death. I said, oh? I said, well, I've just been up to the hospital. And I said, all those people up in the hospital, are they sick? She says, oh, they only think they're sick. I said, well, you go and tell them that. 
And I said, there's no such thing as death. She said, no, death is an illusion. Death is just a thing of the mind. I said, well, what about Mrs. Baker Eddy? I said, didn't she die or did she only think she died? <laughs> well, she said, she lived to nearly 100 years, but I said, she's dead, isn't she? Or did she think it? So did Enoch get into the Christian science stuff, mind over matter? If I only believe, only believe, I'm going to believe myself into it. There's no such thing as death. I don't care if all these other believers are dying. I'm not going to die because there's no death. Death is an illusion. Only believe, only believe. By faith, Enoch. Now, where do you get the faith? Okay, now let's go back to my other little things there. If we could, quote, unquote, turn our faith loose, and every one of us in this room could do this, it would be absolute chaos. Say, for instance, we could say, okay, let's grab hold of the scripture. Now, believe it or not, this is faith building, what I'm giving you, because it's going to put your faith in the proper channel and proper source, and not a lot of the hocus-pocus that goes on today. Now, say, for instance, we could all turn our faith loose. Sister Sanders, you know, we could say, okay, grab hold of the scripture. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you'd say to the mountain. I'd like to reverse it. If you have faith as a mountain, you could say to the mustard seed, scram. Uh, <laughs> but here's a little mustard seed talking to the mountain. I think we ought to have a mountain of faith to remove the mustard seed. <laughs> All right, so we grab hold of that scripture. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you'll say, mountain, get out of my way. So Sister Santa says, mountain, get out of my way. And all of a sudden, the mountain starts move, moving to Kevin Connor's backyard. And then Kevin Connor doesn't want it. He's got enough dirt there. And I say, mountain, get out of my way. The flies in the Nathan's backyard. And he doesn't want it, so he turns his faith loose. And then, and then uh, brother here says, son, stand still. Brother uh, Ken says, son, move on. And someone, you know, we've got worlds in collision, Milky Ways flying everywhere, mountains flying. Through. Worlds in collision. It'd be absolute chaos <laughs> if we could just turn our faith loose. We could turn our faith loose. We'd go into the graveyard. We'd raise all the dead. We'd go into the hospitals, empty them all out. Did Jesus do it? Why? Oh, lack of faith? Okay, now where does faith come from? No, not lack of faith. There's something that precedes faith, and this is what I'm getting at. Romans 10, 17. Quote it. Everybody quote it. So then, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by a word from God. It is impossible to have faith without a word from God. And Enoch could have believed himself blue in the face, and nothing would have happened. Where did he get the faith from? God gave him a word. Let, let, let's just, uh, while we're in Hebrews 11 on this dangerous subject, because I've got some things about faith that upsets a lot of people's faith because of its presumption. I go to verse uh, 20, um, oh, let's see, 29, for example. There's a lot of faith teaching today that I find is unscriptural and anti-scriptural and brings people into absolute frustration. Verse 29 of Hebrews 11. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land. Now, Moses could have stood there with his little stick until he turned to a pillar of salt. Only believe, only believe, turn your faith loose. You Red Sea, open up. Oh, oh you know but the Red Sea would never have opened up if it wasn't God's will. See? He could have only believed himself blue in the face. But what happened in the rest of the verse? By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians are saying, let me change the word of saying, presuming to do was drowned. Now the Red Sea would not have opened if it wasn't God's will. So where did Moses get the faith from? By faith, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by a word from God. And God gave him the word, and that word created the faith, because God's word is his will. Okay? And we try to do these things, and see, the Egyptians, they, said, they rolled up their sleeves like we hear a lot of faith preachers. Look, if Jesus can do it, we can do it. And if the Israelites can go through the Red Sea, we can. And my definition, Connor's definition of, of presumption. Presumption is imitating the faith act of others without personally having a word from God. 
Presumption imitates the faith act of others without personally receiving a word from God. Remember one uh, time in New Zealand, uh, we were in meetings and brother was preaching on this area and he was preaching on Peter walking on the water. And there was a sister there, bless her cotton socks. Uh, she heard this message, just step out in faith. Now how many, uh, how many people believe that Peter just stepped out in faith? Hands up. How many don't believe anything? How many believe that Peter... <laughs> the trouble with you people, you know me too much now. Uh, so, uh, oh, you know, just step out on the water. Jesus said, step out on the water. And if Peter can walk on the water, I can do. So what did she do? She goes home and fills up the bathtub. And she said, that preacher said tonight, if Peter can walk on the water, all we do, Jesus just wants you to step out in faith. I, I, I get hesitant about that little expression now, unless we qualify. Oh, just step out in faith, step out in faith. Faith on what? So she stepped out in faith, filled that bath water, that bathtub up to the top there, and she said, if Peter can do it, I can. And she just stepped out into the bathtub, and what do you think happened? She joined the Baptist church. <laughs> come back to the meeting very disappointed the next night and said why didn't it work for me work for Peter now say for instance when Jesus said to Peter okay out on the water and all the other disciples said well look if Peter can walk on the water bless his socks so can we they would have been immersed because where did Peter step out on he stepped out in faith on what Jesus said come he didn't just step out in faith he stepped out on the word because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by a word and anything else is presumption yes sir That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Not always. I'd say this, Brother Steele, I know a lot about divine healing, and I think most of us know about divine healing. We know the theory of it, don't we? We know the truth, we know the theory of the word, but the spirit still has to quicken that word to us and make that word alive. And it's that quickened word, or we don't want to be too technical on this, this is the logos, but this logos has to become a rima. The logos is the written word, the rima is the quickened word. Right. Exactly, and as it's quickened to us. It's got to be quickened to us. Otherwise we can know the Bible backwards and still not have faith. Right? We can study, I mean, look at the Greeks. And the, the Greeks and Hebrews knew the script. They knew Greek and Hebrew and crucified Jesus. They still didn't believe because they didn't let the word create faith. It's like, uh, like Hebrews again, uh, just, just while we're on that, say... Uh, Hebrews 4 and verse 2. This, this, maybe Brother Steele, this will sort of answer that uh, in a scriptural verse. Hebrews 4 verse 2. We'll take verse 1 and 2. Let us therefore fear lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So they heard the gospel, and we hear preaching Sunday after Sunday, year after year. But how much of that word is profiting us, how much of it is mixed with faith? That's the thing. And so we have little faith, great faith, measures of faith, degree, and, and we continue, we have to say, Lord, increase our faith. 
Say that again. Right, right. Right, so we must read the word. And as we read the word, we pray that the Holy Spirit will quicken it. Because the Spirit inspired the word, and he's got to quicken that word. But if we don't read it, it's impossible to have faith apart from the word. Faith cometh by hearing the word, really hearing in here, not just this. Yeah. And, and the hearing by a word, and that word is rhema there, not logos, the quickened word. So I hear what you're saying, and I agree with that. But the Spirit's got to quicken that. Okay, back to Hebrews 11. One other thought, and then we'll move on. Yes, this is it, Rick. Right. Who's this? Oh, when he walked on the water. Yes, but Jesus did give him the word. Right. Right. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, but but it has to quicken the faith, create the faith. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Well, my, the, the whole point I'm saying in this is that the Spirit has to quicken that word to us. Otherwise, it's an intellectual acceptance of a doctrine. That's what I'm saying. And that's what I'm saying here. By faith, Enoch. Well, where did he get the faith from? Right. Uh, Hebrews 11, one other verse here, and then we'll move on. Verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed and he went out not knowing whither he went how many times i've heard people say oh i'm like abraham he just stepped out by faith he didn't know where he was going no by faith abraham let's say the next four words together when he was called abraham just didn't say i'm going to step out in faith i don't know where i'm going when i get there i'll be glad i'm following my father's footsteps i'm following my dear old dad you know, he just didn't do that by faith when he was called. And you see, I'd suggest, if you haven't done it, I'd suggest that you put right at chapter 11 here, Romans 10:17, and in my own study, trying to sort out this confusion of faith, name it, claim it, group teaching, I put that there and I went through every case in this chapter and when I checked back by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, and did it in the light of Romans 10, 17, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by word. I went back to every one of these persons' lives and I found that God gave them a word. God gave them a word, God quickened the word to them and that word created faith. Then they stepped out in faith on the word. Okay? And so we've just quoted this by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith and we haven't gone back to the word that created faith. So I say Romans 10, 17 is the key to this chapter. And if you can read the chapter in a new light after the night, as you read, say, okay, what was the word? By faith, Abraham and Sarah had the baby. Well, only believe, Sarah, if you believe. Only believe you can have twins. You can have a boy and a girl. You can have your baby right now. No, God gave the word. And that word created faith. See, I'm driving you to the Word. So where did Enoch get the faith? Okay, so I've said all that to say this. This generation, this character type of the last eight church, is it because they're lucky enough to be alive in that generation? Or is the Word of God going to come to them? The same Word that came to Enoch. Enoch, you walk with me, you please me, you have this testimony. You don't need to die. That word's going to create faith. Um, all right, number, I want to come back to that a little bit before we're through here. His number, I've already referred to, number seven. Number seven is the number of the book of Revelation. He's not number six, he's not number five. He's number seven, it's the number of the book of Revelation. The number seven is used at least 57 times in the book of Revelation, only seven that's not there is seven years. 
I just said that for those who are looking for seven years' tribulation. So you're number seven. God worked six days in creation. Seventh was rest. Seventh he sanctified. And when you go through all the sevens, the uh, number seven is used over 600 times in the Bible. So Enoch, the seventh from Adam. The very fact that God took number seven, the number of the end time saints, the number of the book of Revelation saints, and uh, let that man experience the change over from mortality to immortality shows that he's demonstrating in Enoch as the first fruit, a sample of what's going to happen to a great company in the end of the age. All right, number eight here. Let's turn over to Jude quickly here, Jude. I wanted to give you some other powerful scriptures. I still might get them in here. What is the proper time by anybody? Have we got five minutes? Okay. Jude... All right, Jude's message was twofold, as I've got up here. The Lord's coming and the Lord judging. Verse 14 of Jude. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied. So there was a prophetic, prophetical spirit on this man. And we're going to, we are, I believe, we're living in the most prophetical generation. I don't, I don't believe that ever in church history has there been such a prophetic spirit worldwide upon the church as has been in the last number of years and it's going to increase. And so what was the prophetic spirit saying? Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. He leaps right over the first coming, right down to the second coming. If we superimpose it here, where we would have the, have the first coming, we would say from Adam to Jesus, we have four days, as was seen in our earlier studies, four days, 4,000 years, of, uh, day under the Lord is 1,000 years, 1,000 years is one day. From Adam to Jesus, we have four days. But Enoch, he, leap, he leaps right over four days, five days, six days, he leaps right to the beginning of the seventh day and says the Lord's coming. So he bypasses the first coming. And he leaps right over in prophetic spirit to the second coming. The very fact that God has taken this man, number seven, and given him a revelation, not of the first coming, but of the second coming, shows he's a second coming man. He's a last day uh, type church man. And then the second uh, part of his message was judgment. To execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. You'll notice all, all, all. Judgment upon all, convince all, all their hard speeches and note the word ungodly used four times. Ungodly in character, ungodly in deeds, ungodly in speeches, ungodly sinners four times and so the end time church is going to be walking with God pleasing God faith is going to be created in their heart to escape death they're going to have a prophetic spirit upon them they're going to be prophesying of the Lord's second coming and prophesying of the judgment that takes place at the second coming alright number nine our last point is translation translation trans simply means a cross he was taken across he experienced the changeover from mortality to immortality and became a first fruit. Experienced the loose from a, a, uh, the, uh, being loose from the appointment with death. I'd like it just for our last two minutes to go across to the Gospel of John. And uh, the Gospel of John, of all the Gospels, is one of the most simple Gospels and yet one of the most frightening Gospels to the truth about people never dying. John chapter 5. John chapter 5. I'm just going to rush through some scriptures real quick here. Now 
Verse 21, For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. Verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. We have one company there. We have another company in verse 28. Marvel not this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves shall hear and live. All these that are in the graves will hear and live, but there's some that are living who will pass from death to life. John chapter 6. John's gospel is unique to these two companies. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain like Enoch shall be caught up to meet the Lord. John chapter 6 and verse 50. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. Oh, I don't believe that. Not die? Yes. Verse 57. As the living Father sent me and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead, he that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Oh, okay. All right, John chapter 9. John chapter 8, pardon me. Verse 51. Interesting. Only used of Enoch. John chapter 8, verse 51. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Enoch was translated that he should not see death. Same words. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that you have got a devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets and all these godly men. And you say, If a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets? Are dead? Who are you making yourself? Hmm. John chapter 11. There's another one here. John chapter 11. And verse uh, 23, Jesus said unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, as we've done last week, all these believed in him and were dead. Though he were dead, yet shall he live. I am the resurrection to the dead. But I am the life to the living, Enoch, and whosoever liveth and believeth in me will never die, believest thou this? Well, there's going to be an end-time generation that will believe it. Two scriptures from Revelation. I know we're a minute beyond, but let me throw this because I want to finish this tonight. Revelation chapter 2. The first two promises to the overcomers. If you please. Enoch was an overcomer. First two promises involve immortality. Revelation 2 and verse 7. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Remember God said in our first study, And now lest he put forth his hand and take and eat and live, eat of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Enoch got hold of the tree of life. To him that overcomes. Next promise and then we're through. Verse, uh, no, what is it? Uh, verse 17, the third promise. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna. Remember the manna in the wilderness? Remember the table of showbread? Remember the hidden manna in the ark that was incorruptible? How many would like to get a big bite of the hidden manna and the tree of life and eat and live forever? All right, that's going to be the qualification from the character of that last day church. All right, let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we just thank thee again for the privilege of feeding upon thy word. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. May we eat this word and live by this word. May we walk with you and please you and have this testimony and let your word create faith in our hearts for your end time purposes.
We ask in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody said amen. 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 God bless you. You're dismissed. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books, and his ministry.